It's Tuesday, July 27th, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is Yeri Jero, and welcome to Empire Jeopardy, the web's most popular game show. I'm your host and witness as the Empire winds itself up and just keeps unwinding. All three contestants are back from last week. He's an urban vertical farmer from battered Washington and winner of this year's Golden Trellis Award. Meet Jack Browndart. What's the Golden Trellis, Jack? Uh, it's the Oscar of vertical permaculture, Yeri. I won it for growing 380 pounds of Brussels sprouts up the elevator shaft of an abandoned factory. I brought some for you. Thanks a bushel, Jack. He was the commander of former intelligence at Syncom Dread Scent AFPAC in Hintsville, Arkansas. But he's been picked to head the unmanned manpower center at the Drone Alone Air Force Base on Grower Island, Washington. Meet Colonel Butter Braunschweig. Uh, that's quite a promotion they gave you, Colonel. You know, once I heard about my 3D PowerPoint, and happy. <laughs> she was a loan denier for Windjammer Gorgle in Jockey Shorts, Illinois, until they kicked her upstairs to run the whole loan denial division in their Tipping Point Washington headquarters. Meet Swindle. Lou Zimmer. Happy about the transfer, Swindaloo? Working for Windjammer Gorgol is the best life sentence in the business, Mr. Yarrow. Well, the rules are as simple as our returning contestants. Win two and we talk, lose two and you walk. Tie it up and we come back for more. Okay, here we go. Four out of every five. What is the percentage of packaged foods that contain empty calories? What is the percentage of civilians collateralized by a predator-launched Hellfire missile? Yeah. <laughs> What is the percentage of the unemployed turned away from every job opening? Right you are, Swindaloo. A lot of them sleep outside my office. Well, let's go again. They're invisible, hard to catch, and worth $100 billion. What's left of the salmon in Alaska? Who are all the wealthy deadbeats who walked on their mortgages? Who are the 100 Al-Qaeda bums still operating in Afghanistan? Bingo, butter! Yeah, you can't fight them, you can't drone them. So here we are, Swindaloo and Butter, we could talk. Okay. Jack, you're one wrong answer away from walking. Hey, don't sell my Birkenstock short, Yari. Here it is, last one. A clueless barfly with delusions of grandeur. Who is John Bomer? Right on, Swindaloo, it's John Bomer, the Sultan of Suntan. I speed dated him once, five minutes was enough. And here's what you've won, Swindy. A million dollars worth of golden sacks of crap toxic derivatives. They're perfect for wallpapering your nest egg. A complete set of the President's Heads in Chocolate from the Franklin After Dinner Mint. Ooh, just in time for my book group. And an all-expenses-paid weekend on Louisiana's Gas War Island Resort. Slip into your Hawaiian hazmat halter top, order up a couple of 30-weight mojitos on us, and chill out. Talk about a private beach, Swindy. You're the only living thing within 10 miles. I guess I could take off my top. Uh, not yet. This is Yeri Jero, host of Empire Jeopardy, reminding you that everybody else is just a failed attempt at being us. Don't ask, don't tell? Well, I don't know if you ask, but I'm going to tell you. This is Radio Free Oz on RadioFreeOz.com. You got Oz in your ears, my, my co-host David Osmond, me, myself, Peter Bergman. What's up, Dave? <laughs> you are so bold, Mr. I'm Bergman. such You're a bold, bold man. You're a bold man. Well, I was thinking about people running for office again. And the faster, the better. Yeah, well, it's like it's revenge of the cable network is what I figure.
Like, it's these people. Well, here's Linda McMahon, Senate candidate. Or Connecticut, right? For Connecticut, of all, you know, sort of up uptighty places. Well, you know what I say, anyone but Lieberman. So yeah. go right ahead. Okay. She's a 46. Anyway, who cares how old she is? She's yeah. blonde. She's sort of buxom, and she's patting her husband's stomach. He's a big wrestler guy. She's the person who ran the wrestling you know but it's a it's a channel i mean the world wrestling channel yes well that's a very successful piece she's as good as may whitman absolutely who ran the ebay ebay i like i think the smackdown beats the ebay well yeah but ebay is just it's a it's a, a, a it's the cable networks um, what uh, uh, one of those you know corner garage sales? It's you know That's what I mean. It is, yeah. so- it, it's something. It's it's real home and family, and I'm sure that uh, uh, we would get uh, approval from the uh, from the Tea Party for any of those uh, those uh, you know womanly activities like running your neighborhood garage sale, yeah, making a billion dollars and, running a neighborhood yeah, garage sale. But you see what sounds I mean? American to me. See what I mean about it being revenge. Of the uh, the cable network. What happened to her? What? Well, she's just she's just patting her husband's stomach. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to her. I just think it's weird that somebody who whose sole experience in the world of business is running a wrestling network. I mean, what does that have to do with you know <laughs> with government or? Well, but Dave, or, this or is this is America. Or anything. anything, Dad. Jeez. Well, this is America. You don't have to be qualified to run. They say that's part of the genius is that you know the simple farmer can can lay down his hoe or in this case his wrestling equipment, <laughs> his, and, mat. You know, his mat, and come in and and, and represent you. Well, I tell you, Dave, there there are people. Yeah, there are people in the House of Representatives that have got a lot less qualifications than this woman. I mean, you know, it's it's just pretty ridiculous. I know, I know. She's only going in for two years. What are they going to give up being an electrician or a mouse exterminator? Yeah, Tom Delay, the exterminator. Come on, on, it's back to the same old job, unless, of course, you make a million dollars. Like Dave Maloney said to me just recently, hey, there's no registered Tea Party. I mean, there's no real Tea Party as a political entity. There's nobody in Congress with TP after their names. So how how come Michelle Bachman has a Tea Party caucus in the House? Well, not only does she have a Tea Party caucus, and I can't answer, Dave, because I really don't get it, but the first member of the GOP leadership has joined it, Republican Conference Chairman Mike Unlucky Penny Penny. Pence. At a press uh, availability recently, Pence was enthusiastic. You betcha, Pence said when asked if he'd join. Ah, one of the Mama Mussolini, you betcha boys. No surprise. I come out of a background. Yeah, I think he probably does come out of a background, certainly in the wrong direction. I was chairman of the Republican Study Committee. (laughs) Studying what? Studying how to say no? I was chairman of the House Conservative Caucus, he added. My hope is that this Tea Party Caucus will be an avenue for bringing some of the energy and the enthusiasm and the focus and the racism, no, that's mine, that I've seen from the National March on Washington where I spoke on 9-12 to traveling around Indiana and all around the country deeper into the well of Congress. Uh, His syntax, he hasn't paid his syntax recently, but what he's basically saying is, look, I've been around, I've even been to Indiana where it's happening, and I know there's a need for this thing for which there is, of course, no need. Pence 
has been solicitous of the Tea Party movement in the past. He's had his lips surgically attached to their butt. You know, the 912 Tea Party in D.C. was promoted heavily by conservative groups like Freedom Works and right-wing radio and TV host Glenn I'm Going Blind Beck. But his enthusiasm for joining the new caucus is a reminder the GOP leaders continue to flirt with the far-right flank of their base. How in the world he wants to spend time in a room with Michelle Bachman is beyond me. I mean, it is the true Bachman overdrive. It would drive me over the edge, okay? So, <laughs> flirting? They are flirting with the Tea Party? They're going all the way in the backseat of the welcome wagon. Boy, I mean, you know, I just, I just hate to be betting my future on the know-nothings in the Tea Party. I mean, Michelle Bachman, my hero, Michelle Bachman, who is responsible for 15% of Maybelline's eyeshadow sales. Well, we have more to fear than just fear itself, Dave. <laughs> you know, we, we know that there are carcinogens out there, right? You know, cigarettes and asbestos and smoke. Mercury meat. falling out yeah. of the sky and yeah. the fish eating it. Yeah, and what then we eating do? the fish and, you know. Well, but but what yes. about the ones you've never even heard of? Or you may have heard of them, but you haven't suspected that is they are. Is this going to be a chemistry lesson, Professor? To a certain degree. But All you don't have right. to take notes because I'm not going to give a test to anybody. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there's a new report from the American. Cancer Society, yeah. which rounds up 20 suspected carcinogens, and they'd like to see them studied more ex- extensively. So mm-hmm. what are these, these potential killers? You might ask. Styrene. Styrene. Styrene and its chemical compound colleague, Styrene 7-8 oxide, threatened to be a stoner's worst nightmare. This is according <laughs> right. to the American Cancer Society. Stoner's although, worst nightmare. Although only weakly linked to cancer in humans, there's evidence enough in animal studies to earn the compounds a spot in the top 20. Where do you find it? Cigarettes, marijuana, and leaching into your midnight munchies via foam food packaging. Where is there styrene in marijuana? Excuse me. Well, we got some big uh, winds blowing across uh, the marijuana fields, and filled uh, with filled with styrene well, yeah, molecules. Are, there's we got uh, we got those drug agents out there crushing up styrene. I, well, I, I know in cigarettes they'll spray anything on cigarettes to make it last longer and kill you quicker. But marijuana, okay. How do you avoid it? Yes, if how do you, you eat. Don't this eat is your one urine test. Cups. You're doomed to fail. Styrene was detected in the urine of 87% of study participants during a Centers for Disease Control and Prevention trial last year. Okay, All here we go. Right. Tetrachloroethylene, also known as PCE or PERC, PERC, real perky. Oh, it's real perky chemistry. This chemical compound is used in everything from heavy industry to dry cleaning. I do a lot of both. It's already <laughs> been shown away from dry cleaning. Well, myself. I get into heavy industry without yeah, yeah. knowing. Well, it. yeah, I mean, you just do. I'm that kind. Of, I'm a backdoor man. It's yeah, yeah. always been shown. It's already been shown to cause liver cancer and leukemia and rats. And epidemiological studies have linked it to esophageal, 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 and cervical cancer and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, that boy. sounds like a bunch of really bad. Oh. And what's it in? Everything, right? Uh, local dry cleaner, metal finishing plants, and your favorite taxidermy shop. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. PC is used to coat the animal fur. I'm one of those unarmed few who doesn't have a favorite taxidermy shop. (laughs) I don't have one of those either. So we're okay. How do you avoid it? Apartments located above dry cleaning shops, don't rent them. 
All right? No, go to, you, you want to rent an apartment hey, over a Chinese restaurant is where you want to have an well, apartment. Well, then you get poisoned by MSG, but it's well, okay. What it's are you going to do? Oh, All no, right. The next number, one's number serious. three. Yeah. Uh, for us, ex-surfers, no such thing. Uh, okay. Titanium dioxide, one of the least well-studied mm. of the bunch, probably the most boring. Titanium dioxide has only been the subject of three human studies as to its carcinogenic effect. But it's been established as a cancer-causing agent in several animal studies, uh-huh. leading the cancer I, society. I can't wait to find out what it's in. As a possible carcinogen. Where do you find possible, it? Mostly yeah. in manufacturing facilities where workers breathe it in. But it's also an ingredient in cosmetics, paints, varnishes, lacquers, paper, plastic, ceramics, rubber, or printing ink. It's also that stuff you put on your nose when you want to keep you know, the big sun out, is titanium oh, dioxide. Oh, yeah. yeah. So how can yeah. you avoid it? Uh, you can't. <clears throat> you can't. That depends on the value you assign your looks. This is conflicting evidence as to whether nanoparticles of titanium dioxide pass through the skin. If they do, the presence of titanium dioxide in a large variety of cosmetic powders and creams may be a cause for concern. Well, I'm going to give up all of my tanning supplies oh, if absolutely. they have titanium well, dioxide. You better give uh, a hopes to be majority speaker or leader of the House John Bomer a call because he's probably slathering it oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Goes Could into, be killing himself with titanium dioxide. You know, I think they're going to build a special um, tanning parlor bar for him where you can sit at the bar, <laughs> do happy hour, and be tanned at That's the good. Well, is he, if he wears dark glasses in there so nobody will recognize him. It'll work out great. You know, ever since people told me that he hits the happy hour so, so so regularly, I've started to look at the pictures of him, and he does look like a guy who is holding a big hangover. Okay, mm. last carcinogen, okay. shift work. The only non-tangible to make the top 20, shift work has been linked to cancer in a series of studies, but science has yet to make a definitive connection. The culprit is the interface with biological circadian rhythms, the interference with it, wherein uh-huh. humans are exposed to light during periods of darkness, a 2007 study in The Lancet, which is the big... Yeah, a British, you know, a medical magazine noted that shift work involves circadian disruption that is probably carcinogenic to humans. Well, how about school? Well, Golly, well, it starts completely out of any kid's you know, diurnal day. So does farming. Well, <laughs> no kidding. Where do you find Milking it? your cows. Give shift you a break. Work. All night grocery stores, yep, hospitals, yep. factories, yeah, yeah. and homes with newborns across the country. An estimated 15% of us are earning our keep during shift shift work, according to the ACS report. How do you avoid it? Not easily. Mm-mm. If your livelihood d- depends on it, though, it does give meaning to the quip, don't quit your day job. <laughs> yes, we've got a lot of everything in this land of ours. And a lot of places to put it in. And maybe that's where you fit in. Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Smith from Anytown, USA. Come on, big fella, take this guitar, put on this wide belt work shirt, and tell it like it was! Is the Tea Party Express's Mark Williams a racist? He certainly says he's not, but he sure looks and sounds and smells like one. Williams, the spokesman for one of the Tea Party movement's most Republican establishment-connected groups, has shown himself to be a virtuoso when it comes to writing and saying racist things. Two quick examples. There was the time he called Muslims the animals of Allah. That's a real good way to get yourself, you know, in the good graces over there in the Crescent Land. And in an email, the other time he called President Obama the Indonesian Muslim turned welfare thug on camera. This man has a real way with words. He's no racist. 
not. Now, Williams's accidentally racist chickens have come home to roost. After posting one of his most overtly racist statements ever to his personal website after the NAACP passed a resolution calling on National Tea Party leaders like Williams to condemn racist rhetoric seen at Tea Party rallies in the past, Williams has found himself ostracized by a growing number of Tea Party groups across the country. It's true. The heart of the Tea Party movement is not racism. It's ignorance and it's xenophobia, but racism is not its main card. It's got it in the deck, but it's not on the table. Not even his friends are standing up for him now. It's a surprising end for the man who helped to transform the Tea Party into a Republican political force. Coming apart at the seams? The Tea Party Express is no fringe group of grassroots activists. These guys are are, are professionals. The group was created by a team of high-level California Republican consultants, and the Tea Party Express PAC, Our Country Deserves Better, it's called, still boasts legendary GOP bamboozler and former Representative Howard Kalugian as its co-chair and veteran Republican political consultant Sal Russo as its chief strategist. And Russo is an all-time high-paid Republican Paul. Williams, a former conservative talk show host and blogger, was the highest profile public face of the group, but his propensity to stumble into racism on his personal blog and in TV appearances has led him to being disavowed by his colleagues in the Tea Party, a Tea Party Express particularly. One such disavowal came after his classic Allah is a monkey god email back in May. All right. Animals of Allah and Allah is a monkey god. This is what you hear in a sports bar after too many bad beers. Or this is his late, one of his pledges. I will defend my record on race to no one under any circumstances. And I will call out any racist anytime without regard to who they are. And that includes our half-white racist president. Uh, the man, he's, he's so gentle. He's... He's a diplomat. We should recall Carl Eikenberry and put Williams in his place. All will be well in Afghanistan. And here's Williams dissing the NAACP, and he's doing it on NPR. Not exactly his audience. We're dealing with people who are professional race baiters, who make a very good living off this kind of thing. This is how he's describing the NAACP. They make more money off of race than any slave trader ever. It's time groups like the NAACP went to the trash heap of history where they belong, along with all the other vile racist groups that emerged in our history. This man is, this man's giving me a hernia. And here's Williams' fake letter to Abraham Lincoln from NAACP President Benjamin Jealous that Williams posted to his blog. And this is the living end. Quote, Perhaps the most racist point of all in the Tea Parties is their demand that governments stop raising our taxes. That is outrageous. How will we colored people ever get a widescreen TV in every room if non-coloreds get to keep what they earn? My, oh my, this is the man that is what, brought the Republican Party together with the Tea Party? I tell you, it's like, what do they call that? Critical mass! Kaboom! Hi, this is Sharzad Hackerthumb, and I play the teenage barista at the Useless Boy Cafe on Tipping Point, Radio Free Oz's new seaside soap opera. I listen to Radio Free Oz because I pick up the occasional useful Yiddish term. I know that the executives at Goldman Sachs of Kraft are not simply thieves and criminals, they're mumsers and tumblers. John Bomer isn't just a witless hand puppet, he's a schmendrick. And the vice principal at my middle school is a schmohawk. 
When one of the stuck-up girls in my class gave me grief, I told her to stop being such a schmageggy. She said I was putting a curse on her. Maybe I was. This is Sharzad Hackerthumb, and you've got Oz in your ears. A confidential survey of workers on the Deepwater Horizon in the weeks before the oil rig exploded showed that many of them were concerned about safety practices and feared reprisals if they reported mistakes or other problems. Reprisals. The ship's going down. You put that up on the radio, sailor, you're fired. In the survey commissioned by the rig's owner, TransOcean, workers said the company plans were not carried out properly and they often saw unsafe behaviors on the rig. Some workers also voiced concerns about poor equipment reliability, which they believed was a result of drilling priorities taking precedence over planned maintenance. This is according to a survey uh, of, of a bunch of TransOcean reports by the New York Times. At nine years old, Deepwater Horizon has never been in dry dock, one worker told investigators. We can only work around so much. Run it, break it, fix it, another worker said. That's how we work. Now, there's a good motto for a, for a rig out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico with zillions of, of, of gallons of oil pumping through it. Run it, break it, fix it. <clears throat> it sounds like a pimp's uh, you know, motto. According to a separate 112-page equipment assessment, also commissioned by TransOcean, many key components, including the blowout preventer, rams, and fail-safe valves, these are the ones that blew, had not been fully inspected since, ready, the year 2000, even though guidelines require its inspection every three to five years. Now, this brings up something that's maybe apocryphal, but I think it's important to know. I have a friend here on the island who did a lot of work with uh, at oil companies across the United States doing maintenance at the refineries. And he said the difference between working, for example, for Sunoco, this was in Ohio, around Toledo, where everything was totally clean, all the containment ditches had been cleaned out, there were no weeds, There was, if you had to use a chainsaw to do any kind of cutting, you had to not only sign it out and, and fill out a form as to why you wanted it, you couldn't get it yourself, somebody came, a safety person came, wetted down the area, watched you do your work and took the saw back. He said, no overtime, because they knew that it would cause accidents. When he worked for BP in the same area, they said, you got two weeks to get this done. You work 18 hours a day. We don't care. Get it done. There was no safety. There was no decontamination showers. There were no safety workers, he said. There was nothing. It was the difference between night and day. BP has been a criminally rogue oil corporation since its get-go, and we have got to bring these bastards down. Hello, dear friends. This is Reverend Bill Barnes-Dormer of the First Blameless Church of Science. Fiction. And let's say thank you for that. Today, dear friends, let us also say thank you to the naysayers among us. To those who put a stop to progress and change. You know, change is a dangerous slogan. In this troubled world, change means to give up your righteousness. Change threatens the family. Change isn't in the Constitution. It's in the Declaration of Independence, and we went through all of that long ago. So to say no to everything is to make no mistakes, and let's say thank you for that. 
no closes that open door to your inner office, say thank you. No inspires your co-working man or woman to say no to out of respect and risk to continued employment. Thank you. No lets you off the hook. As the good booklet says, park and lock it, not responsible. No good turn goes unpunished, so no frees you from having to learn anything you don't need or don't want to think about. So be a naysayer, if you got the strength. Remember, dear friends, ideas may appear useful, but they could be wrong. You don't want to go there. This is Bill Barnstormer. Please send for my new Naysayers Workout DVD. It lets you do that bike thing while you learn the story of Ulysses and St. Anthony, who said no to the voluptuous demons of temptation and new ideas. And it tells the story of our confusing America today and, and lets you exercise your no to the elite minorities who lack the righteousness to say no. And instead they cry out, good idea, let's try it. <sighs> $29.99 to Naysayers, Box No, That's Mine, Arizona, 24680. Tim Paget is one hell of a writer. He writes for Time Magazine. He's done a lot of marvelous work for them. He himself is a Catholic and is therefore qualified to write the following. The Vatican has issued an avowal, as obtuse as it was malicious, that ordaining women into the priesthood was a sin on par with pedophilia. Rome's misogynist declaration, tossed into its new guidelines on reporting clerical sexual abuse, did more than just highlight the church's hoary horror at the idea of female priests or its penchant of late for sticking its papal slippers into its mouth every time it gets. It also pointed up an increasingly spiteful rhetoric of bigotry. When Argentina in mid-July legalized gay marriage, the country's Catholic bishops weren't content to simply denounce legislation. No, that wasn't enough. They used the occasion to argue for the subhumanity of homosexual men and lesbians, the way many white Southern preachers weren't ashamed to degrade African Americans during the Civil Rights Movement. Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio not only called the new law a scheme to destroy God's plan, as if he had like an inside on God's plan, he termed it a real and dire anthropological throwback, as if homosexuality were evolutionarily inferior to heterosexuality. Bergoglio and many American prelates today are simply parroting their new pope, Benedict XVI, who in 2008 said saving humanity from homosexuality was as crucial as rescuing rainforests from lumberjacks. Now, there's a quote. Oh, Mr. Pope. How did it come to this, says Paget? The answer lies in why the Vatican felt compelled to throw its anti-female jab into the sexual abuse directives. When any institution is as convinced of its own moral infallibility as the Catholic Church, it tends to lash out at criticism, especially charges as serious and as, as the priestly rape of children, with Dostoevskian paranoia. And the Church then fortifies its less popular stances, like an all-male priesthood or the condemnation of gays, in the process becoming even more uncompromising. 
Most Catholics, according to polls in the U.S. and abroad, support women's ordination, but the church peevishly views that trend as an insidious sub-agenda of its sexual abuse accusers. Hence, the last week's astonishing aside from Rome that both the ordination of female priests and pedophilia are graviora delicta, or grave crimes. The real offense is the church's theological sophistry. Its argument for keeping women out of the priesthood, Jesus had no female apostles, is as shamefully bogus as it is unjust. The hierarchy, threatened by claims of Mary Magdalene's ministerial status, has long tried to identify her with the unnamed woman caught in adultery in the Gospel of St. John. When the woman was dragged before Jesus for judgment, death by stoning, the man demanded, Christ famously said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. The church wants us to embrace that compassionate teaching when it comes to pedophile priests, and yet it is deaf enough to cast stones at the crime of female priests. Hmm, stoning women for adultery. Ah, so that's where those ayatollahs got that idea. Benson was a farmer He grew the Minnesota wheat He rode there with his daughter High up on the thresher's seat They broke down on the hillside The radiator spitting steam Went back to get the toolbox So they could fix the old machine With a turn of the wrench And a twist of the screw We can fix the tractor We can make it like new But that day they got a letter That said the power lines would come Right across their farmland Right across the setting sun So they gathered all the family And talked late into the night We cannot let them do this We've got to put up one hell of a fight With a turn of the wrench And a twist of the screw We'll apply a little pressure And we'll see what that will do So they phoned a hundred farmers And drove to the Twin Cities Met there with the governor And they sued the utility But after writing all the letters And paying all the legal costs To the power of the city Once again the farmers lost And in the still of the evening The wind is all you hear I watch the waves on the wheat fields alone I walk the furrows of earth I plant year after year This is our land, this is our home 
A senior U.S. law enforcement official has told CNN that U.S. intelligence believes the principal author of the new online Al-Qaeda magazine is an American citizen who left for Yemen in October 2009. The magazine, called Inspire, appeared last week, running to nearly 70 pages online. It included articles on bomb-making and encrypted electronic messages, as well as an interview with fugitive Yemeni-American cleric Anwar al-Awlaki. Well, it isn't exactly Oprah, but I guess there's a lot of people reading it. The source has identified the driving force behind Inspire as 23-year-old Samir Khan, who previously lived in North Carolina and was involved in radical Islamic blogs, including one he called Jihad Recollections. The source said Khan traveled to Yemen on a round-trip ticket, but has not come back to the United States. I wonder if he will. He's probably going to lose half that ticket. On his various blogs, Khan distributed English translations of an Al-Qaeda propaganda magazine and links to videos produced by Iraqi insurgent groups and others. In a profile in 2007, the New York Times described him as a kind of Western relay station for the multimedia productions of violent Islamic groups. Put that on your resume. Khan was born in Saudi Arabia. Aha! Another mumser from Saudi Arabia and moved to Queens, New York with his family when he was seven. The family later moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and now he's in Yemen. Good riddance. I'm on the phone with Ben Schreiber. He's a climate and energy tax analyst at uh, Friends of the Earth in Washington, D.C., and welcome to Radio Free Oz, Ben. Thanks for having me. You bet. Now, what we want to talk about is something that you're deeply involved in, which is uh, exposing this multi-billion dollar bailout of the nuclear energy industry. Why don't you just tell us all about it? Yeah. um, Unfortunately, our representatives are slipping billions of dollars of money, preemptive bailout money, into all kinds of bills that must pass Congress. Um, And so to the tune of $25 billion in the latest appropriations bill in the House and another $10 billion um, actually in money that was just in the appropriations bill in the Senate. So we're talking about tens of billions of dollars of loan guarantees for nuclear power in legislation that almost no one's aware of. Really? How do they get away with this? what's, What's the strategy here? Basically what they're doing is they're slipping these this money into legislation that has to pass. So they tried to put nuclear power into the appropriations bill to fund the war in Afghanistan. Um, they also tried to put nuclear power into must-pass domestic legislation, such as um, $10 billion to pay teacher salaries. Hmm. So they've been slipping it into legislation that we need to continue to run this country and so that it won't be the headlines. Well, isn't this earmarking, really, when you get right down to it? Yeah, I mean, it very much is, and especially when you look at the projects um, where this money is is slated to be going. There are three new reactors that are sort of the first in line for this money, Uh Um, and one of those is in Representative Clyburn's district, and he's the majority whip. Um, Another one is in Majority Leader Steny Hoyer's district, and then... Uh, Representative Edwards in Texas, who's also in a race, um, he made this an election campaign issue in his race, beat up his opponent for not subsidizing the uh, reactor in his home district with money. And then they added an extra $25 billion in loan guarantees for nuclear power, which he's 
suggesting should be going to his plant in his district in Texas. Well, let me ask you something about, I mean, pork barrels, you know, have been with us for a long time. The pigs have been feeding at it forever so long. But the question is, if these are loan guarantees, uh, the, these these guarantee loans that come from actual commercial banks, which means they can charge a, a, a heady rate of interest and have it guaranteed by the by our tax dollars? It's actually even worse than that. They're calling it loan guarantees, but the money's actually coming directly out of the federal financing bank, uh, which means the U.S. Treasury. Really? And so, yeah, so the, the money is coming directly out of the federal Treasury, um, and taxpayers are on the hook 100% if these things go belly up. And according to the government, um, GAO, the General Accounting Office, they're estimating that it would be roughly 50% uh, default rate for a nuclear reactor. You know, so we're we're basically uh, betting against betting against the wrong side of the table. Let me ask you something: uh, Is there is there any mobilization against this in the in the Obama administration? I mean, are there people in the West Wing, as I call it now, who are aware of this and are trying to stop this from happening? Um, unfortunately, it's actually exactly the opposite. President Obama really came on strong for three things in his State of the Union address. Um, the first was an increase in drilling offshore. Yeah. New oil drilling. Um, the second was an increase in "quote unquote" clean coal, and the third was an increase in, in nuclear power. Wow! Since that address, we've actually had, um, you know, the huge BP disaster. Yeah. We had a massive mine explosion that killed twelve people, and now we're just waiting for a a nuclear disaster. Well, what um, to really give us the trifecta? Oh yeah. Well, so what can we do? We, you know, we the little people, the leprechauns. What can we do? A couple of things. I mean, first of all, we need to be telling our representatives that we don't want money for nuclear power, um, letting them know that this is not okay, that we want fiscal sanity here in Washington, and that we're not um, immune to the billions of dollars of taxpayer monies that are going out the door for this and other wasteful projects. And uh, we can, part of this we can do by supporting Friends of the Earth, I would imagine. Is that correct? Uh, that's definitely correct. Um, we have a, a website, www.foe.org, um, and we do a lot of work fighting not only subsidies to nuclear power, but also subsidies to coal and oil and natural gas um, and all of the dirty polluting industries that are right now basically feeding at the trough of our government. Yeah, in other words, I'm not very I'm not very fond of coal myself, nor of nuclear energy, nor of oil, but the fact is if if this is supposed to be this great free market capitalism, then they should be able to do it on their own. You know, they the Republicans keep saying, "Well, you know, if the guy fails, let him fail." You know, well, if these if these people can't make it on their own, why should we be supporting them? There's nothing particularly wonderful about what they're doing. Why aren't we putting the money into um, gasification or alcohol or something that, you know, doesn't cost us all of our all of our treasure and blood. Well, yeah, I'm answering my own question. We really there's not much we can do about it except resist it, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, everyone's talking about how we need nuclear power, how it's the solution to climate change, um, how it's just essential for the economy. But the reality is that most of these uh, facilities aren't going to be built with with American jobs or American products or American construction, and the. the other thing is that they're just so expensive that we have cleaner, cheaper alternatives in renewable energy. Right. This is nothing more than you know massive industries controlling our government with their financial power. 
Well, nothing new there. Thank you so much for being with us, Ben. We'll keep in touch. I know this isn't something that's going to go away very quickly. And we'll have you back on Radio Free Oz. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. It's sad. I mean, I know people who are partisan and don't like the GOP because they are such awful rascals right now would be happy to know that they are, they have decided. They've got their strategy for the midterm elections. They're Mm. going to make it basically a question of was the Bush era good for the country? That's where they're going. They're go, they're putting up the Bush flag. Mm. Um, Has uh, everybody forgotten the Reagan flag? Though for most of President Obama's tenure, Republicans were eager to run away from that question. Yep. They now act as though the answer makes them bulletproof. With the economy still in crisis and polls showing Republicans poised to pick up many seats this November, haha, GOP leaders have found the nerve to explicitly, explicitly argue that what the country needs is a return to the same policies that triggered the country's woes in the first place. We need to go back to the exact same agenda, he said, that is empowering the free enterprise system rather than diminishing it, said NRCC Chairman Pete Sessions on Meet the Press. For Democrats, the comments was a gift, one they plan to use repeatedly between now and the fall. They quote, We could have not made the case any clearer than Pete Sessions did that the Republicans only want to go back to the failed policies of President Bush. Then NRSC Chairman John Cornyn chimed in on C-SPAN. John does him one better. Look, he says. <laughs> and he's probably the wingiest, with Inhofe, the wingiest of the wingiest. Yeah, Cornyn, DeMint, and, and Inhofe are like the, the three hear no, see no, smell no evil, the mindless boys. He says, look, I think President Bush's stock has gone up a lot since he left office. <laughs> People appreciate his resolve and commitment in the face of a national security threat like 9-11. He had his challenges, no doubt. We have learned a lot about things we could have done better as Republicans in terms of fiscal responsibility. I think a lot of people are looking back with a little more, with more fondness on President Bush's administration, and I think history will treat him well. Yeah, well, give me a pipe full of whatever Johnny is smoking. (laughs) If that stuff makes Bush look good... I gotta try a taste. Oh, my bony boy, in the Estonian mountains, we used to go to sleep leaning up against a windfall. I was but a mere prat then. I'll never forget the time a snake slithered into my wife. I wasn't but knee-high to a married grasshopper Oh, then. no, no, look, that's all never very interesting, the but the again. sun is going down. Oh, no, no, you're all confused. The horizon is moving up. Hey, listen, come on, you guys, help me, please. I know, no. I know. Let's, Let's stand him on his head. head. Here you go. Hey, 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 hey put, put me down. Right, right. hey. Easy, boy. Ah, you see? Now it's morning. Oh, he's no fun. He fell right over. Yeah, back during the Great Depression, as I've mentioned as a marketeer, this is this can't be the Great Depression redux. This has to be the Greater Depression because we're bigger and better than anything that happened back in the 30s. Back then, uh, a man named John Maynard Keynes, who was an economist and one of my favorite figures, he's an Englishman who, by the way, made his living not teaching at the London School of Economics, which there wasn't a lot of money in it at the time. He would get up in the morning, not leave bed, have the, have the London Times business section delivered to him. He would have an extremely strong cup of coffee, an extremely strong Balkan Sobrani cigarettes, which you can't get in the United States anymore because they're too strong and too good. And he would go through the times and he would make speculative 
bets. And most of them were right, and that's how he supported himself. He was the one that created the idea of pump priming the economy when things are bad. Spend money. Forget about the deficit. Get things going. Well, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke reiterated recently his belief that Congress indeed should continue to prop up the sputtering economy, casting aside concerns that the federal budget deficit should trump the economy's need for additional stimulus. I got to hand it to the man. Well, no, I don't want to hand it to him, but I'll lend it to him briefly. In other words, Congress should spend now and worry about deficits later. He says at the current moment, the large deficits, as unattractive as they are, are important for supporting economic activity, the nation's central banker told a Senate panel, citing weak private spending and a great deal of excess capacity, which means there's a lot of useless crap on the shelf that nobody wants to buy, along with some very useful crap that nobody has any demand for, like Caterpillar tractors and cement to help you know cure the infrastructure. Bernanke added that he'd be reluctant to withdraw that support too precipitously in the near term, i.e. support for, for just pump priming the economy. His comments strongly echoed remarks he made back in June. The debate over budget deficits versus stimulus spending has gripped the nation's capital as the economy, though technically in recovery. Yeah, technically in recovery. The patient's dead, but the skin looks a lot better today than it did yesterday. That patient is technically in recovery. Can we get some sort of disinfectant or perfume in the room, please, for this economy? It still continues to exhibit negative trends. I love technically recovering, exhibiting negative trends. Let's get down and say it stinks, it sucks, it's past the tipping point. We got to do something serious here. Again, call for the new New Deal. For one, the national unemployment rate is essentially unchanged from 2009 in June. At 9.5%, it's fluctuated in the intervening years, rising to 10.1% in October before dropping back down last month. About half the nation's unemployed workers have been jobless for at least six months. Does the word structural unemployment mean anything to anybody? In addition, foreclosures continue to mount, consumers continue to hold back on spending, credit is tight, and banks and corporations are sitting on record amounts of cash worried about expansion during a time of great uncertainty. Wait a minute, let me say that again. Who are sitting on what? Uh, Banks and corporations are sitting on record amounts of cash? Well, why don't we just take it away from them? Why don't we just suck all that cash out of their ill-gotten coffers and give it to the unemployed and and build roads and uh, invent vaccines and have ourselves a good old common wheel time? Well, I hope you know that August 1st has been set as the date for, as the headline puts it, troops to go to border. Which border? Ah, which troops? Yeah, Uh, right. I mean, it's scary when you read a headline in the New York Times. August 1st, set as date for troops to go to border. And you don't know which troops, you don't know what border. North Vietnam, South Vietnam, what's going on? I thought the war was over, North Korea, South Korea, what about all those Slovakia countries down there? What border? Well, it turns out, it turns out, of course, it's Arizona. Mexeriz. Uh-huh. New Mexico, Texas, and California, more than 500 
uh, of, nation, of National Guard troops are going to <laughs> go down there. I, I'm calling this Futile Mission One. Yeah. This is uh, these troops will provide direct support. Here's not you want you, you want some military bureaucracy. I'm language. ready, Dave. Okay. Hit me. These troops will provide direct support to federal law enforcement officers and agents working in high risk areas to disrupt com- criminal organizations seeking to move people and goods illegally across the southwest border. Janet Napolitano. <laughs> Janet Napolitano. She's that's, used the longest, that's the longest sentence I've ever read. Well, she's got a, a long name. She's used to that. Good um, golly. No, wait a minute, Dave. 500 guardsmen <laughs> spread across. Futile mission one. You're on, boys. <laughs> across a border that stretches across <laughs> New Mexico and... Arizona and uh-huh. did say, uh, Texas, Texas and California. California. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. about one bozo every 50 miles. Yeah, that, they're going to interdict a lot. And there's the Nazis are in between. Okay. Yeah. In a guest column <laughs> published in the Arizona Republic, Napolitano, uh, Mr. Napo- Mrs. Ms. Napolitano, Doesn't matter. former governor, yeah. said special security technology like thermal imaging binoculars. Ooh. Why aren't they using those in airports? Oh, you're right. Exactly. To look under Why? women's clothes. Yeah, why can't I have them just to find out who's hot at a distance? There you go. And observation aircraft. Here come the The drones. drones. Send in the drones. There they come. Would be used to focus on an an area around Tucson that has been widely used by smugglers, she said, alerting everybody to where they were going to send the drones. In addition to the National Guard effort, that is – to provide direct support to federal law enforcement officers and agents working in high-risk areas to disrupt criminal organizations seeking to move people and goods illegally <sighs> across the southwest border. We're going to send 300 agents and officers from the United States Customs and Border Protection. Got your uniforms, boys? Well, I really like my new my new uniform here. I'm see CB and RAP. Uh, they'll also head to the border to assist in security efforts. CBRAP, CBGB's RAP, CBGB's oh, wow, RAP. Man. They're going down there. Why are they? Come rap defense, what, man. What about what about you know the unused? What about the Coast Guard? No, they're busy down there trying to trying to clean up the oil. Gosh, I guess there's nobody left to defend our borders. There are no borders left. Yeah, Dave, all things come to an end. It took weeks and weeks, and finally the Senate has passed the unemployment extension with the two women, the so-called moderate Republicans from Maine, Collins and uh, and Snow, coming over. It snowed, finally. Hmm. And blue dog Ben Nelson uh, going the other way. But finally, it's over, as indeed is this episode of Oz. Oh, well, but um, we'll be back, and those benefit checks will begin flowing in a week or two, a yeah, month. I, uh, I, yeah, a month. 2012? A... What about 2014 is a good year to start something? Well, they ain't going to be over by 2014. They're going to be extending this until the Depression's over, and by that time, we're probably going to be out of Tang poems. So uh, let's go. Life Among the Ruins. Yeah. And speaking of that, this is Among the Ruins. This is uh, uh, Lee Ho. Lee Ho. Lee Ho. Daylight burns out beyond the western peaks. Blue moonlit clouds bloom in the night sky. The past, the present, where is the end of it? The wind has blown away a thousand years. Sands in the ocean have turned to stone. 
fish blow bubbles where the emperor built his ruined bridge. Mm. To have come all this way, to find nothing but distance and the bronze columns of the gods long since vanished. And I'll tell you, there's something to be said for having no Game Boy, right? No TV, uh, no uh, no MSNBC, no Fox. You've got time to do something called thinking and gaining a larger perspective. It leads to things like poetry and contemplation <laughs> and, and, and perfect brush, brush strokes, you know? It, it does make you wonder if indeed, David, we are going through this great tipping point, if things are going to change and we're going to become more simple and artsy craftsy and get more out of less, maybe the brush stroke will come back. Maybe the poem will come back. Maybe the contemplation will return. Well, you know, they hoped for that back in the in the 60s when poets would, you know, walk around the streets selling their poems, you know, free poems for sale, one dollar. Right. They did it in San Francisco. They did it in New York. And, and uh, you know, back then, poets believed they could uh, make a living and it would just be fine if they could just be poets. The hmm. difference is they were being paid with all that excess money from the Vietnam War. Now that's gone. No, and World they, War II, too, too, for the, for the uh, yeah, school. Yeah, so all now maybe that, yeah. we will be paying our poets with, you know, fish and corn because things are going to get more village-like, and maybe not. In any case, we'll find out on the next Oz. The question so. is, who makes it all possible? Hey. Uh, it's the Oz team. Your host, me, Peter Bergman. Your co-host, him, David Osmer. John Cummings is our consultant on things electronique. Phil Fountain does all the lovely graphics. I'm getting awfully kind of beef sound stool here. Tom Gedwillow is in charge of the web web. Um, Chaz Glass keeps us honest. Well, we're honest. He just keeps us honest. Dave Maloney, well, he does the recording. Bill McIntyre, he does the producing. He's the one that got us, Dan Ellsberg. And Scott Wilde, he's Mr. Social Media. Hey, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow.